Uh, tonight I want to invite up Timothy Grace. Come on up, Timothy. And uh, Timothy has been in our church now for, I, I'm not even sure how long, but uh, Timothy's going to actually get baptized tonight uh, at, on the, right after the servant sermon. And so, uh, but I asked him to share a little bit tonight about his story and what God's done in it. And uh, so I'll give it over to him at this point. There you go. Good evening. Um, first, I'd like to just thank uh, Calvary Chapel Old Town for just uh, welcoming me and my daughter here. Uh, originally, we were fellowshipping at Calvary Chapel Beachside, and uh, we, we came here to Orange and needed a new place to call home, so we decided to come to Calvary Chapel Old Town. And uh, I just want to thank you guys for welcoming us here, uh, Pastor Rod. Uh, and Dave have been very, very supportive. Uh, they have uh, just uh, blessed us, and we just get a lot of prayers from the church. Um, I guess my story is uh, this. Uh, I, don't, I don't come from a broken home. Uh, my dad abandoned me, and then eventually my mom did as well. Um, I was raised by my aunt and uncle. Um, grew up in a dysfunctional family. I functioned in a dysfunctional family. And uh, I guess I am standing here today uh, just very, very grateful. I have no business being s standing here a couple times. I, I should have lost my life. Uh, one was in a motorcycle accident in 2009. I was hit on the five freeway, flew over a car, hit the center divider, um, broke my neck and my ankle. Um, and then about a year and a half later, I was T-boned on the driver's side uh, where a guy broke my neck uh, and my ankle. Uh, and I don't know why I am here today, but I know by the grace of God that uh, he has uh, blessed me. Um, I've come across some really great people, and one of the people I'd really like to thank is my friend Terry. Um, he has taken me under his wing, and uh, he's shown me what I need to do to be a good Christian man and a good Christian uh, father. And uh, it wasn't until recently why I know now I am here um, and it's just to testify to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to his healing power of how he can restore somebody's future in their faith and just why I am here. And I just want to thank you guys. I love you guys. And thank you, Pastor Dave. And thank you. So, Timothy, you're telling me you're a crash test on me. Wow. Like, do, do you have any other insight into that? I mean, like, uh, twice you almost died? Yeah, I was hit. I, I, I hit the, uh, I was going about 55 miles an hour, and all of a sudden, I, uh, I was spinning traffic on my motorcycle, uh, and I got a lot of water. And the guy pushed me over, and I hit the back of the car, and I flew over the car, and I actually hit the center divider. And I don't remember the accident, um, but I do remember that the uh, highway patrol came to my house. And uh, he gave me my helmet back, and I don't know why, because it was cracked and it had throw-up in it. Whoa. Because I, ha I had an instant concussion, and, and, and I don't remember the accident. I just remember uh, I, was, I woke up in the hospital, and uh, I, I escaped. All I had was a scratch on my knee and a, uh, and a bruise on my elbow. And uh, then the next accident, uh, a guy actually ran a red light, and he hit me on the driver's side about six inches from actually hitting me directly right on the driver's side. And uh, I remember the, the, the Irvine Police Department came and they gave me back my ID 
And he says, you know, he goes, you got to consider yourself very lucky because if he would have went six inches more to his right, he would have killed you. Wow. Well, we thank the Lord. And I, I know for Maddie, she's thankful that her daddy's safe. And, and now you've been on Facebook. You're posting every day just what God's doing in your devotional life. Yes. So what was today? Uh, you know, today was just uh, being grateful for, uh, for just what I have um, and being just a good father, and that's my daughter Madison right there. She is, she's, uh, she's actually my racing partner. Uh, her, and I, her and I love to ride together. She has just been a blessing to me, and just uh, it's been amazing. Timothy does BMX racing. Uh, yes. And he's actually very good at it. He's, uh, you won nationals in Las Vegas. And in Phoenix. And, or, and in Phoenix. So he's, he's very good at it and very quick. You may even see him riding around town, uh, yeah, racing I, places. He love to ride. So, uh, well, thanks so much for sharing. I'm excited to, Thank you. to uh, dump, baptize dump you in just me. a few. So, Lord bless you, Timothy. Thank you. So, all right. <laughs> yeah. God is so good. Well, I always expect somebody, when people get up to share their stories, I always expect them to share what I know, and then they share something totally different. Now I have like 100 more questions for Timothy. Uh, but uh, take the time to talk to Timothy later. Um, he's always around here. He's always serving, and, uh, and he's excited to do so. So uh, please make sure you talk to him. All right, we are continuing on in the Gospel of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 13 tonight. And so if you'll turn with me there in your Bibles, 13. And we're going to be starting verse 1 tonight. And let me, let me pray before we start reading tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much, God, for this time. Lord, we thank you for the work that you are doing, Lord. God, we thank you that our God is living and active. Lord, that he is not dead and he cannot be housed in a temple made by men. But, Lord, you are the God of this universe, the living God. And, Lord, you are actively changing lives. Your word is powerful. And, Lord, we ask now for you to just change our lives, Lord. May we, none of us leave this place the same we came in, but may we leave with a deeper understanding, a desire to live life more in faith and dependence upon you. Lord God, may we, may we be faithful servants as you transform us. And, Lord, for anyone in this room that is discouraged or hurting, Lord, I pray as we learn from your word, God, we'd be encouraged and lifted up, knowing that our fate, our, the end of all things is already planned. You already know it, and you will take care of your people. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark 13, verse 1. Now, we are getting ready to go into what is called the Olivet Discourse. And, um, and it's a fancy name for Jesus' teaching on the Mount of Olives. He's leaving the temple. And he had just finished, as he's leaving the temple, that's the last time he teaches in the temple. Now we're going to go across the Kidron Valley tonight from the temple, and I'll show you a map in just a minute, and up into the Mount of Olives. There he's going to teach his disciples more about future things. So tonight we're getting in probably Jesus, uh, well, this is Jesus' most prophetic teaching that he does in, during his teaching ministry with his disciples. So we're getting into prophecy tonight, we're just getting the the, the start of it, what I want to encourage you to do is not just read Mark's gospel. We're teaching through Mark's gospel, so we're going to stick to the text of Mark, but also read Matthew's gospel, because Matthew adds some more teaching to this 
this discourse he does at the Mount of Olives, and he had some parables that go along with this teaching. So I'd encourage you to, when you get home tonight or this week, also read Matthew's gospel and also read Luke's, and you'll get more pieces to this sermon on the Mount of Olives. But we're going to start at verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. The uh, historian Josephus, the Jewish historian, uh, wrote this concerning Herod's temple. Now, just so you know uh, what we're talking about here, Herod's temple, the temple that the disciples were marveling at as they're walking away towards the Kidron Valley, and they're looking up at these temples, this temple, and, and one of the disciples, we don't know who it is, he, he marvels at it. He, look, look at how amazing this place is, this place of worship. Now, understand the Jewish temple is essential for Jewish worship. Not that God lives in the temple, but it is the means of relationship between God and his people. It, the temple is the vehicle in which they can offer their sacrifices, that they can have atonement made for them through these animal sacrifices, that they can come and give their offerings to the Lord. The temple is an, an, a, an essential, not, not, not a, um, a, 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 a possible means of worship, but is the essential means of worship. Without the temple... The Jews are separated in relationship to God. That's how important the temple is. Now, there, there's been three temples at this point in time. The first temple was built by Solomon, King Solomon. King Solomon's temple uh, replaced the tabernacle. And, uh, of course, David wanted to build a temple, but he was told no by God because he was a man of bloodshed, because he, he had been doing all this warring. So Solomon gets to build the temple, and his temple was pretty marvelous. But it wasn't as great as the one in Jesus' day. After Solomon's temple, it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar uh, when the Jews were taken captive into Babylon in about 585. And then once they were sent back by Cyrus the Persian, Zerubbabel, who was made governor over Israel, he built another temple. And that, that started what we call the second temple period. Okay, And the second temple period continued on through the first century A.D. So Herod's temple, although it was really a third temple, it's really just considered the second temple because it was never actually, Zerubbabel's temple was never destroyed. It was remodeled, even though they started pretty much over. But Herod uh, did all sorts, Herod the Great did all sorts of building projects. And one of his most important building projects that he built was this new temple of, um, here in Jerusalem. And Josephus says this about the temple. Now the exterior of the building wanted nothing that could astound either mind or eye. For being covered on all sides with massive plates of gold, the sun was no sooner up than it radiated so fiery a flash that persons straining to look at it were compelled to avert their eyes as from solar rays. To approaching strangers it appeared from a distance like a snow-clad mountain. For all that was not overlaid with gold was of purest white. Some of the stones in the building were 45 cubits in length, 5 in height, and 6 in breadth. Now what that is is some of these stones were about 50 feet long by 
15 feet high. And of course, the, uh, the breadth of them being um, some uh, nine feet or so deep. So we're talking massive, massive stones that Herod used to build this temple. It was a major undertaking. And what he did was he actually extended the Temple Mount of Solomon to a much greater uh, plateau. So here's a picture of the Temple Mount. And um, the first one coming up, well, okay, this is the western wall. This is what we call the welling wall. But this is the side of the Temple Mount where they're, they're praying to that wall. That wall is the foundation of which the temple was on top. Herod ex- extended this foundation so great. So let's go to the next picture. Here, this would be the Temple Mount. Now, this is a model. Today, there's the Dome of the Rock is on top of this, and we'll talk about why in a minute. This is the Temple Mount, so he extended this huge retaining wall all around the Temple Mount, this highest point. Now, by the way, it's important to note, this is Mount Moriah. This is where Abraham was told to bring Isaac and sacrifice him, this Temple Mount. This is the spot. So we can see here from the, the distance, you have Solomon's colonnade, uh, the porticos all around the temple, and then the actual temple structure itself. Now let's go to the next picture. This is a little bit closer of the temple. All the gold overlaid it. And again, this is a model reconstructed from what we can put together from uh, eyewitness accounts and historical accounts about the temple. But this is what we believe it looked like. And then let's go to the next picture. This is Jesus' prophecy coming true. Um, And I'm just going to leave it on that picture for now. So Jesus, as they're coming out of this temple... This is the continuation of Jesus cursing when he comes into the temple. Remember Jesus pointed out that fig tree that bore no fruit, and he cursed the fig tree, and the fig tree withered up, and then he goes into the temple, and what does he do? He overturns the tables, he, he drives out these people selling, and he says, my house will be a house of prayer, not a den for robbers and thieves. No, this, if this building is going to be used for the worship of God, it will be used for that purpose, otherwise not at all. But this, is, this prophecy that Jesus gives is the symbol of the rejection of him as Messiah by the Jews. This is the last time he'll speak to the Jews. This is the ultimate rejection as he leaves that temple. Heaven forbid any of you in this room ever reject Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because there is only one man, only one name under heaven by which men can be saved. And that is by the name of Jesus Christ. That is the only road, the only path to salvation is through Jesus Christ. Sure, we may try to reach through it all sorts of ways. Even the Jews with their sacrifices, their wonderful temple, their wonderful building that they were so proud of. The building that took 46 years to build. As Jesus walks away, he says, not one stone will be left upon another. And this pile right here were some of the stones thrown off the Temple Mount. In 70 AD, not even a full generation later, Titus Vespasia comes into Rome with his Roman troops and legions. He's given one directive by Nero. Burn down, tear down all of Jerusalem and its temple. And so they did that. They lit such great fires that, in fact, on the, on the walls, you can see burnt into it uh, parts of the limestone where they became powder and were impressed upon the walls. You see arches and things. And, and because of all the gold melting into the crevices of the temple building, what do they do? To do they take it apart stone by stone, 
casting it off the Temple Mount onto the ground, cracking the pavement. Literally, this pavement here could have been where Jesus actually walked in the first century. But these stones have been tossed down off the Temple Mount. Less than one generation, this prophecy that Jesus gives, not one stone will be left upon another, but they will all be thrown down, comes true. You know, in Deuteronomy, God helps, uh, helps Israel, and us too today, understand the test of the prophet. Deuteronomy 18, God instructs us that we don't have to fear people that come in the name of God, but don't, don't come true. And, and, and we have a means, a, a way of testing those who are of God versus those who are not of God. And that means is basically, if a prophet prophesies and what he says doesn't come true, that prophet should be stoned. Or put to death or cast out. We, we shouldn't receive that prophet. He's a false prophet. And by the way, many, fal- many false prophets come. You know, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has a false prophet, Joseph Smith. We can compare the prophecies of Joseph Smith and see that none of these have come true. To this date, these prophecies have not come true. And, and it's worrisome. It's bothersome to those those in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that know they haven't come true and they're just hoping for some reason. Like, for instance, Joseph Smith prophesied that a temple would be built in Missouri, the, the place of the Garden of Eden, the, the promised land. I know Missouri doesn't seem like that kind of a place, but, you know. <laughs> in fact, I've been to Missouri. I was trying to figure out which part was the promised part. But, uh, no, just kidding. But he prophesied this. And, and then even later on, their prophets kind of changed his prophecy to say, well, no, it'll be done by 1890. And sure enough, to this day, it's an empty, vacant lot. There's no temple built there. Jesus prophesied that not one stone would r- remain upon another. And by the way, these, the, the church, we see it now, but the disciples must have been like, how is that even possible? It took 46 years to build this structure. And now you're saying not one stone will remain upon How is that even possible? How is that going to happen? But sure enough, the word of God, it will always come true. It will always prove itself true. And that's the wonderful thing about being a Christian. We don't have to prove anything. We can just let God speak for himself because he will. And by the way, I think that one of the reasons we have this prophecy right here before the Olivet Discourse is Jesus is saying, I'm a prophet you can trust. For all of us coming behind. Now we know that Mark's gospel was written afterwards because if this gospel would have written, been written before the temple being destroyed, you probably would have had lots more detail in this. It, it wouldn't have been as, as, as somewhat vague as it is. It's just one stone won't be left upon the other. I'm sure you would have had an inclusion about burning and fire. But no, these are the words of Christ. Not one stone left upon another. It will all be thrown down. That's the prophecy. And so Mark's gospel has that. Matthew's gospel has that. And then sure enough, some of these disciples live to see it happen. It's incredible, the word of God and his faithfulness to it. Let me show you another map here. This map here is Jerusalem in the time of Jesus. And you see the Temple Mount there off to the right. And then the Kidron Valley, they're uh, going off to the right of the temple. The western wall is on, on the left side of the temple mount. That's where the welling wall is and they pray. 
On the other side, if you go across the Kidron Valley, up the hill, you'll go up to the Mount of Olives. And then if you go beyond that, you go into Bethany. So that hopefully it will help you understand where Jesus was going and, and uh, what was being, uh, these places. And of course we have Golgotha. If you just go, I know this is kind of hard to see, but if you go left from the temple, you, have, you can barely see it with the, the, the image. But it's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And that's where we believe Golgotha was. So there's a kind of a dark, bold line coming downward. And just on the other side of that line, there you go, laser pointer, go to the left. Who's, who's ever got the laser pointer? Oh, there you go, come down a little bit. And there's Golgotha. So that's where Jesus would have been crucified, just to give you an, uh, an idea of this. So let's go on to verse 3. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives... Opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? So the disciples come to him, burdened, I'm sure, by the teaching about the temple. As they're walking out, Jesus says, Not one stone will remain upon another. (laughs) It's not going to happen. And I'm sure they're like, Wait, what? What? And as they're walking across the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives, I'm sure they're thinking about this. And so finally they come to him and they ask him, tell us about it. Tell us when these things will be. Notice that they really ask three questions here. When will these things be? When when is this going to happen? And I think what they're asking, when will the temple be destroyed? But Jesus actually doesn't answer that in the, the Olivet Discourse. And what will be the sign... When these things, so what, what's the sign? And when will all these things be done and accomplished? When is everything going to wrap up? Verse 5, and Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. Interesting. So interesting, this prophecy that Jesus gives us. And that's what we all want to know, too. Tell us about the end times. (laughs) When when is everything going to wrap up? Um, What about my future? I mean, these are some of the problems that, and often some of the temptations to us not have putting our faith and our trust in God because we're unsure, we're uncertain about our future, we're concerned about it. And I want to tell you, Jesus Christ, God the Father, knows the beginning from the end. He knows all that will happen. You, dear Christian, need to trust Him. That's what your job is. All right, Lord. You know what I'm going through. You know the trial that I'm facing. You know what I'm enduring right now. I'm going to trust you. And I can't tell you how much comfort we can take in the times when we're most hurting, most challenged, most questioning what's going on in our lives to know that my God, the God who calls me his own, knows my life. And he knows everything that will happen. And it makes me go, okay, you know what? I don't have to stress too much. God, this is in your hands. I know I'm freaking out a little bit, but Lord, I'm going to keep trusting you. And so Jesus begins to tell them, first of all, that many will come. And, and he says, see that no one leads you astray. And there's that blepite word. He uses that a lot. And it's watch out. Watch out for this. 
People are going to come and people are going to try to lead you astray. There's going to be many false prophets, many false messiahs, but don't believe them. Don't trust them. You know, today, right now, we have, uh, there's, uh, I'm sure there's more than five, but there's at least five guys who are popular and have large followings who call themselves Jesus Christ. Uh, the first one is in Australia. His name is Alan John Miller, and he was an IT specialist in Australia. Well, he started his uh, Church of the Divine Truth, his movement, and he believes that he's Jesus Christ reincarnated. In fact, he believes that he has all the memories of the crucifixion. And his girlfriend, Mary Magdalene, of course she's married something else now, but she's also been reincarnated. And they, the two of them both remember at one point in time having a child together and living together and all this sort of stuff. And now they go around teaching and they've got actually quite a large cult following. following and... Um, they, they go on saying about how they're Jesus, and, and by the way, one of his main teachings, and, and I, I did this for you, I went through and read all these cult teachings, and um, so I'm, it was tough, I'll tell you right now, because I'll, I'll tell you, when you read the real deal, when you know what the truth is, it's easy to spot a cult. When you know the word of God, it's really easy to spot a, spot a cult leader. And when you read their stuff, you're just like, oh, Lord, forgive them for being so blasphemous. Lord, forgive them for being just frankly dumb, uh, thinking that they can be God. But their main teaching is that we need to, we can only connect with God through emotions. That's it. And by the way, that's what cults do. Oh, you know, how do you feel? Joseph Smith said the same thing. Read the Book of Mormon. Pray about it. Do you feel something? If you feel something, that's the Holy Spirit talking. And you know what? Nothing could be further from the truth. Again, it's just getting people away from the cross of Christ and the word of God. That's why at Calvary Chapel, we put such an emphasis on the word of God. The word of God is our high priority, not your experience. We want to have a worshipful experience together. But it's easy to make somebody feel something. I could tell you a really sad story. We could prick your emotions. We could get tears flowing. But that doesn't do anything. What changes hearts what turns lives is the word of God. That is what's living and active. And that is what we desire to teach here. The second Jesus today is Jose Luis. I won't even say his last name because it's just offensive to me. But he's a Puerto Rican who believes he's also Jesus. And by the way, he's not just Jesus. He's also the Antichrist at the same time. Well, I'll tell you, he is an Antichrist and there's no question about it. As John says in, in his epistle, that he's got definitely the spirit of Antichrist dwelling in him because he's a false Christ, a false Messiah. And, and he, he tells everybody to call him daddy. And anybody who doesn't recognize daddy's teachings is, of course, someone who's lost. And who are those people? You, me. We're the lost ones because we hold on to the word of God. Oh, but just so you know, we still accept offerings at our church. <laughs> you know, <laughs> give us the money. And, and the sad part about it is he has a large following all across South America and in the U.S. The third false teacher, Henry Cristo, he's a Brazilian. He says he's Jesus Christ. And, of course, there's Sergei Turop, who's, uh, who's a Russian. Uh, he lives in Siberia, and he's a Russian leader. He's got about 5,000 followers worldwide. And he started the Viserian cult. And he also says, I'm Jesus Christ, reincarnated. Listen to me. In fact, he's written his own uh, 
gospel volumes, and there it's 12 volumes of his own thing, and the, the, his book, when you first open it, has a great little portrait of him, and he looks like, he tries to look like Jesus, or what he imagines Jesus would look like, long hair, robe, and uh, which is interesting that here you have a guy saying, I'm Jesus, and now I'm going to try my, to make myself look like Jesus. These guys are false prophets. Don't be led astray. And, of course, there's Wayne Brent also who, again, calls himself Jesus. And he's, he wants to be, his movement is the Lord our righteousness church. Again, just copies. Copies of the real deal, but not the real deal. I'll never forget when I went to Florence, Italy, and I saw in the middle of the square, I saw the statue of David, and I thought, oh, that's really cool. Um, but it was, it was like cool, but it wasn't great. And I found out while we were there, oh, that's not the real deal. That's the replica. And I was like, okay. So uh, that's cool. And I wasn't really even excited at that point about seeing the real statue of David by Michelangelo. Well, my wife and I got tickets and we went over and we went to the Museum of Art where the, where the um, real statue of David is. And, and you'd think it's going to be this huge museum, but it's not. It's like this little hole-in-the-wall place and it's got a lot of Michelangelo's uh, carvings that were unfinished. But when you go into this room and you see the real statue of David, you, can, you cannot mistake it for a fake. It is incredible. It, it was so lifelike. And it was, it was like, wow, that's the real one. It was so easy to tell the fake when you saw the real one. And the same is true with the scriptures. Once you know the truth, you cannot be convinced of the lie. So stay in the truth. Don't be led astray. Many will come. Many will say, I'm the Messiah, or he's out there, or he's over there. Don't believe them. And don't believe those who come promoting peace either. This pursuit of world peace, it's another warning to us. You know what? We're never going to see it in our lifetime. And honestly, knowing that I'm not going to see world peace gives me a little bit of comfort. Because I can know that this isn't all there is. That when Jesus Christ comes and establishes his kingdom and establishes real peace, that's what I'm looking forward to. And so I as a Christian say, come Lord Jesus. Every time I see injustice, every time I see famine, when we see ISIS doing what ISIS does, beheading Christians, when we see the, the depravity of man, we cry out all the more, come Lord Jesus. Establish your kingdom. We want your peace. But don't be misled. No matter what politicians say, don't vote for a politician based on his promise of peace. Because it will never happen. There will be no politician ever that will be able to bring peace. And I appreciate the UN. They do a lot of good things. But they will never get peace. It's just not going to happen until Jesus Christ comes. In fact, the exact opposite is going to happen. Wars and rumors of wars. But do not be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Hey, guess what? There's going to be wars, and there's going to be more wars, and there's going to be rumors of wars. But don't be alarmed. We're supposed to put our trust in Christ. We're not supposed to get alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. I haven't seen the movie San Andreas yet, but I was in the real deal in Nepal. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm sure that movie San Andreas is a lot more theatrical. But I'll tell you, 
one of the things about Nepal is all these people were going around saying, oh, there's going to be another big one. There's going to be a 9.0 coming. There, uh, and they were saying, oh, there's more earthquakes coming. And you know what I said? Is, yep, there are more earthquakes coming. I don't know about here in Nepal, but there's definitely more earthquakes coming. Because Jesus said it. There's going to be more calamities, more earthquakes in various places. But, and there's going to be famines. You know, do, do you realize that? We're never going to cure world hunger. We're never going to cure poverty. Jesus said the poor you will always have with you. We'll never find the right balance of wealth in this world so that everybody has an equal share. It's not going to happen. It will never happen until Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom. And by the way, I don't even think in the messianic kingdom there's going to be this balance that's equal of everybody getting a fair piece of the pie. I think Jesus is going to set up those who are faithful as rulers in the millennial kingdom. But we're told that these things are just the beginning of birth pains. You know, our, our first daughter, Elise, um, and actually every kid, uh, we, I'm always like, okay, so you're having, uh, I'm talking to my wife, Laura, you're like, okay, so you're having, is, this, is it go time? Is it go time now? No, it's not go time. No, it's not go time. And, and uh, I remember having Laura out there walking around like, come on, let's get this thing going. I'm ready for the baby to come. And uh, no, nothing happened. But she sure had lots of contractions. And she would even, as we got closer and closer, she would even stop sometimes. Hold on. She'd breathe in. And I'm like, is it going to be go time now? No, it's not go time yet. But, but I know that, that the closer we got to her having birth, the more she was like, please, I just want to have this baby. And the, the, the larger she got, the more she couldn't sleep on her back and, and the more uncomfortable she was at night. And uh, I actually got replaced by a long pillow. That was Dave 2, she called it, because uh, it was more comfortable to sleep next to than me. My life, my life is hard. I'll just, no. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but anyway... Uh, she had these signs that birth was coming, but it had not yet come. And you know what? Before birth actually came, it got more painful for her. It got harder. And Jesus uses that as an illustration for us to understand that it will get tougher the closer we get to the end. And, of course, there's many prophecies in the New Testament saying the same thing, that the love of most will grow cold. That brother, well, and we're going to read here in the next thing, that brother will turn against brother and parents against children and children against parents. We're going to see more discord, more, uh, in fact, the more I think the world strives for peace, the less it's going to happen because of man's sinful nature. Let's go to verse 9. But be on your guard. Be on your guard. What does it mean to be on your guard? Have you thought about that? Uh, and by the way, this same word that he uses for watch out, it's here again. Blepite, keep watching, keep vigilant. For listen what will happen. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Verse 12. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Man. 
I'm sure this is not at all what the disciples were hoping to hear. I'm sure the disciples were hoping to hear, man, it's going to be great. Now that you're on board with me, oh, man, you guys are going to preach and wealth is going to come and everything's going to go your way. And everywhere you go, you're going to speak it and people will listen because you're men of faith. That's not at all what this says. This says that the closer we get, the more, the worse it's going to get for the Christian. They will deliver you over to councils and you'll be beaten in synagogues. Wait a minute, this isn't the health and welfare gospel. Shouldn't I be in another church? Shouldn't you be telling me about how everything's going to go well if I become a Christian? Not even close. You know, that may have worked for a time in America when, when certain things were, uh, the culture was moving differently. But nowadays, Christians are being persecuted in America. We see Christians who are under fire for not, not facilitating a same-sex marriage. We see a florist in Seattle who's actually is being sued by the attorney general of Washington because they, they refused to do the wedding. They, they didn't refuse to sell them flowers. They just refused to do the wedding. And, and the attorney general is going after all of her personal possessions. We see this, this type of thing happening all over America. But, of course, if we go outside of America, we see much worse persecutions. There's places where you can lose your head today, which we see on the news for being a follower of Jesus Christ. These things will get worse. They, they will bring you before governors and kings for my sake. Notice this. When we undergo persecution, it's not for nothing. It's for Jesus' sake to bear witness before them. To bear witness. That word witness is uh, martureo, which means to be a martyr. That Jesus will use our lives to be a witness for his kingdom. Have you, have you thought about that yet? You know, we, we don't deal with much persecution right now. It's coming, trust me. It will come more. But are you ready to be a witness for him? If so, man, throw off the gloves. Un unhinder yourself and start sharing his gospel boldly while we still can do it publicly. Get out there. Be a witness publicly. Start practicing it now. Be prepared. Things are going to get worse. But God will use it. For his glory. You will be his witness. But, and look what has to happen. The gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. The word nations there is ethnos. It's the same word used for Gentiles. The gospel has to go out. It's going to go out to everyone before the end. Now, we believe um, that our perspective of this church is a, a perspective that, that God will, can come at any point in time. And, and uh, we know that the end will come. Jesus' actual return to earth will after the gospel has gone out to all nations. But, of course, at any moment he could take his church home to, to kick off that tribulation period. And so we eagerly await. And you may have a different eschatological view. And, uh, oh, sorry, I used a big word. Uh, an end times view. You may have a different end times view. The, 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 the position of the end times view uh, for, for the pastors in this church is uh, we, we believe that before the tribulation that God will not... Not uh, He hasn't created his church to suffer wrath, but will remove us out of the tribulation. And so uh, we eagerly await being taken out. And that can come at any moment. And uh, I guess the good question is, are you rapture ready? Are you ready to go? And, uh, and maybe you have a different perspective, but don't worry. I'll let you know when we're in the air that you were wrong. Okay, I'll tell you. Hey, <laughs> ours is right. No. But um, anyway. 
I'm just kidding about that. But anyway, we recognize that the gospel has to go out to all nations, but it's not going to go out easy. There's going to be a cost. And everywhere the gospel goes into darkness, it's met with, with uh, opposition. Just understand that. When, anytime you read about the martyrs in history, that wonderful heritage of martyrs that we have that have gone before us, when they go to dark places, they're always met with opposition. Because the fact is, Satan does not want to give up ground. Your enemy, our adversary, does not want to give ground over. But praise God, the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. We go forward. We move on. I was talking to Saji and he was telling me that prior to um, the Maoists taking over in Nepal, it was actually illegal to be a Christian and it was especially illegal to get baptized. You'd get ticketed and sometimes arrested. And, and um, some uh, young men one day found Saji and they had heard about him baptizing and they, they beat him up for it really bad. And to this day, he still has very bad migraine headaches. And one of the things we did for Saji when we went to Nepal was bring him Advil. That was a big deal for him. Uh, he was like, yes, I have some Advil. But he suffers headaches to this day. But every he headache he suffers was because of the cross of Christ. Because of the cross of Christ. And you know what? It's not easy for Saji. It's work. You know, well, well God, didn't you call me to the easy life? Didn't you call me out so I could, I, could, I could be wealthy, healthy, and happy? No, I called you out to be my witness. That's what I've called you to be. My witness to the ends of the earth. My witness in your workplace. My witness wherever you go. That's what I've called you out for. <clears throat> Notice what Jesus says. When they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious about what you will say beforehand. But whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak but the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about that? Like, what am I going to say when my boss asks me this or my coworker asks me this? Or how do I respond? Well, don't, don't think about that. Just know the word of God. Seek the word of God. Pray and just wait for those words. God will give you the words to say when you're brought before to be a witness. Think about this. Paul says some awesome stuff when he's brought before trial. Peter says incredible stuff. When you read the stuff that they say before trial, you're like, wait a minute. Wasn't this Peter who like ran away and hid? Wasn't this the Peter who's always putting his foot in his mouth? And now he stands before giving these incredible sermons. Stephen goes from Genesis all the way to the present before getting stoned um, to death. But you're, you're going, wow, what wisdom they have. How do they put this together? Well, you know what? It's not them. It's the Holy Spirit giving them the words to say. They're trusting in God. So don't worry about that. Brother will deliver brother over to death. The father his child. The children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. <laughs> Man, this is a totally different message than we'd expect to hear from some people. We, we'd expect to hear people are going to love you. I mean, after all, when you think about it, your, your message is the good news. The gospel, your message is a message of peace. You're trying to bring peace between people and God. You're telling them that God loves them. I mean, what part do you hate? You're telling them that, hey, guess what? You don't have to work for your salvation anymore. In fact, you can't work for it. But God did it for you. Jesus purchased you on that cross. Jesus nailed that sin to it. It's Jesus who has bought your salvation. 
What part do you hate? It's the Jesus part. That's the part they hate. That's the part they will always hate, those who reject him. That's the part that the Jews hated. That's the part that caused them to say, crucify him, crucify him. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end. No, you're not earning your salvation. Endurance is the product, the fruit of your salvation. Those that endure show that they're, they're, they're saved. It is those who, who continue on in Christ that show that they're a follower of Christ. I had a verse here that I wanted to share with you, and um, I've lost it. Oh, yeah, here we go. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I didn't put this on the slides. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So salvation is purely by the grace of Christ. We have to understand that. But the fruit of that grace is endurance. You know, I, when I think about it, endurance is a mindset. I, I actually have done a lot of endurance sports over, over the years. I know it doesn't look like it, but I have. <laughs> Not a lot of fruit from it. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I was a water polo player for a long time. And I realized in water polo we ran more than the, mer- the uh, cross-country team. We swam more than everybody. We were constantly weightlifting, running, swimming, and all this sort of stuff. And then I, I've, I've done actually a 100-mile bike ride, and I'll, I'll never forget that because um, I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to do this. And um, if I just d- crash on the way, oh, well, you know, it's just going to happen. I mean, eventually my body will shut down. But that's what I've learned about endurance. Endurance is the mindset. Endurance is knowing a finish line. And the amazing thing about it is when you hit the finish line, your body just boom, shuts down. You're just done. And I'll never forget, I, I did my 100-mile bike ride, and I, I ended up calling my wife because my, my legs were just seizing up, cramping. Like on the up pedal, the top part would cramp. On the bottom pedal, the backside would cramp. I mean, they were just going back and forth. It was the opposite way. But they would just go back and forth, just seizing up, and I'm just trying to pull up the cramping leg as, as I go. And um, I remember getting, calling my wife as soon as I got off the river trail at Chapman. I was like, honey, I need you to come pick me up. <laughs> Like, I can't walk. <laughs> it's like, I'm just done. But I made my 100 miles. It was awesome. But during that 100 miles, it really was just knowing that I'm just going to keep going. One pedal at a time. I'm just going to keep my eyes focused on the prize, finishing the 100 miles. That was my mindset. I set my mind in advance that this is what I'm going to do. The same is true for the Christian faith. Jesus has already purchased it. Do you have the mindset to endure Whatever comes at you. Do you have the mindset that, Lord, I'm just going to follow you to the end. Until that day you call me home, I'm yours. I'm going to follow you home. The work of salvation is already done in you. What we're waiting for is that, as, as Paul puts it in Romans, the adoptions as sons. We're waiting for the new glorified body. That's what we're looking forward to. But the work is done It's not about you working or trying to be good enough. It's just about you relying on Christ. Man, the load that's lifted. The the load to endure is completely removed because we go, okay, I don't have to say the right thing. I just need to be faithful to you, Lord. I just need to endure, not give up. Sadly, in the gospel, in the, the New Testament epistles, we have a few examples of 
those who have turned away, those who would not endure to the end, those who started out the race but did not finish it. And, uh, and we, we read about that, but not so with you, dear brethren, as Paul says. Not so with you. You've started this race. Finish it strong to the day of completion. Finish it. I, I look back at, I, I started ministry years ago. Um, I don't even know how many years. I think in 19 years now I've been in ministry. And um, <clears throat> I look back to that day when I told Pastor Rod, I think I'm being called into ministry. And he said, we'll see. <laughs> I had no idea what to expect from that comment. Like, okay. But I, but I started with a lot of people, other people at the time that I met and knew. And some of those people to this day have left the cross. They've gone away. They've gone their own way. Or they've fallen into some terrible sin. And I, I look at those people and I, I can't help but tr- thank the Lord that, God, thank you that I haven't done that. I haven't fallen into these traps. Lord, please, please make me wise as a serpent. Please protect me. I want to finish strong. And one of the reasons why I want to finish strong in ministry is I don't want all these past 20 years to be for naught. I want every battle fought, every prayer said, every kid who's come to Christ through my youth ministry or every person who's come to Christ through my preaching ministry or every counseling session, I want the people to know that I'm someone of integrity, that, that I wasn't telling them to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. I don't want the past 20 years of history, and Lord willing, if he's got me in for another 20 years or whatever before he calls me home, hopefully he'll come next month, but, but, <laughs> or sooner. So, but, but I, I want to finish strong. I want my life to be that testimony that Jesus is Lord. And I want to encourage you to have that same witness. Let your kids know that when, when they talk about you at your grave, Dad sure loved Jesus. Mom sure loved Jesus. When you're separated from them, you know the one thing I can say about my dad or my mom is they really showed me Jesus in their marriage, in their household, and it was good. The one thing I can say about my friend is they really love Jesus, and they act that way too. They don't gossip. And and you know what you'll find out is the more you live that way, the more people will come to you when they're hurting. Because they want to know, how is it that you have this joy that's not taken or stolen? How is it that you continue on in hard times? How is it that you were able to endure the loss of a loved one or a sickness or whatever it was in your life? What is it about you that made you happy during that time? Or that I should say the joy that you received. It's Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we know the end is going to get worse. But God, we have a you who is much greater than all of our troubles. God, you are above and beyond anything in this life. And we fear not the one who can just kill the body, but we fear the one who can, after killing the body, throw the soul into hell. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are our God. And you will not let that happen to us. Lord, the day we came into your presence, you said our life was safe with you, secure. Lord, I pray your blessing be on each and every one in this room. Let them follow you unhindered, unfettered by the things of this world, Lord. Help them to turn away from 
from just the pridefulness of life, the lust of the flesh. Lord, help them to turn towards you and understand your word. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you're a God who honors what you will say, what you say. That when you say you're coming, you will come. And we long for it. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.